You've been dealing with electricity for a while. What still astounds you about it? It's a lot like magic because you can't see it. It just moves through copper wire. Like we have a solid element that we're conducting this through. And it, it is the closest thing to magic in the real world that I have ever seen. It's, it's wild. So you say it, it's magical. What, what's the magical property that, that stands out to you? I would say that mostly that you can't see it and it can be like, you look at like how they generate electricity with magnets and stuff like that. You're using a magnetic field and just passing iron over copper windings and somehow that creates energy. So you're moving, you're changing kinetic energy into electrical energy and then this electrical energy can also be transferred back to kinetic energy. It just, or heat energy or whatever, you can make it into just about anything you want. <laughs> it's like, what do you know that is more actual magic than that? It's like the force in Star Wars. That makes sense. We can't see it. It's somehow, we just have to trust that it's moving and that it's working. Exactly. Oh, so what made you get into it? Mostly, I, the, when I got into it, I was welding with my dad. And it was very dirty, heavy, hard work. And what attracted me to electrical was it was clean work. It was kind of a prestigious thing to get into at the time. It was the cleanest trade you could get into. And it was within what I thought that I could confidently achieve with my skills and knowledge. So I could still use a lot of my hand skills that I had picked up through my life. And I thought that the schooling was achievable. So then once you got into the schooling, how did that live up to your, you thinking you could still achieve it? Oh man, like I almost quit in the second year because my math skills were so weak that I was like barely class passing my math classes. And actually my instructor came up to me after failing one of our first exams. And he said, you know, man, like you should just save yourself some time and just quit right now. This is only the tip of the iceberg as far as math goes and you are going to struggle through this whole course what what made you keep going i think that him telling me not to did uh motivate me quite a bit and fear of failure i didn't want to fail at it so that motivated me and i i got a really good tutor and i worked hard at it and I aced my next exam. It was a last chance for me, this exam. And I aced it. I got a hundred percent on it. And he came, our uh, program ha head actually came into our class and apologized and showed everyone, this is what you can do if you put your mind to it. That's impressive. On both parts where you did the work, and that this guy owned up to his failure to you. Yeah, I'm not sure if he if he maybe said that to me and immediately regretted saying it, but because of his position, he couldn't backtrack on it in the moment. So I think he was happy that I succeeded and then he wanted to make up for that shitty thing he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, in a sense, he probably thought he was doing you a favor. Maybe he did, yeah. He might have done that tactically. Maybe. I don't know. I don't... I feel like because most of the instructors in these programs are actually tradespeople, they don't have educational backgrounds. They are plumbers who are get injured in the trades or don't like the work or whatever or electricians in this case, they're tradesmen. They don't have a lot of, like, in my experience with all the instructors that I had, there wasn't a lot of 
that uh, the same drive as you see in like a good educational teacher. Um, growing up, I did run into one or two um, in in uh, K to twelve school where they were extremely good teachers and they learned how to use these tactics to motivate kids to do better in school. But so of the teachers you were in K to 12, which, what traits stood out to you then? Um, I suppose it was always, to me, it was the older, uh, teachers that had been there for a long time. You could tell that they had a passion for what they did because when you got into their class, the first thing that they did was they told, they had this, um, story that was very, uh, captivating and intriguing. Like they would hold your attention with, that would be like their intro intro, just like a good book. That first paragraph should really grab your attention. And they had that skill. And a lot of the teachers that I grew up with don't have that skill. Oh, so of the ones that have it, they sort of drew you in and kept you wanting to learn more about the subject they're teaching. I don't know about if I wanted to learn more. Well, maybe I was somewhat more curious about it, but I guess it it made me trust them because of the way that the story was laid out and what they were, and they were so good at telling the story that they sounded intelligent about what they're talking about. And when you ask them a question about something, they would either tell you the answer or they'd say, I'm not sure I'll find out. Oh, so they had integrity on top of that. Absolutely. That's a great point though, that they were, they were okay saying, I don't know. Yes. Yeah. That's huge. I think for, for teachers to be able to say, I don't know, I don't think it's taught enough in school and maybe it's just ego or something like that because it seems like most teachers won't say, I don't know. Maybe now it's making the shift, but we don't know. Yeah. So when you say it's also, he, he qualified or she qualified it with, I don't know, but I'll try to find out. Yeah. Yeah. That, that try to find out part's probably pretty critical. Oh, absolutely. So then with the trades, so with electrical, the teachers are just electricians. Absolutely. Yeah. So then they were taught by another electrician. That's right. Yeah. There may be, I'm not saying they don't have maybe any qualifications i'm sure they've been to courses that the that that college sets up to try to steer them in the right direction but it's a lot of like just laying the information out and then you're expected to learn it yourself which makes sense a lot of universities run it the same way and i think that was the whole goal of k-12 school is actually to teach you how to learn things on your own which, I mean, that's a good skill to have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, being a lifelong self-learner. Yeah. Yeah, pretty big deal. With the electrical, though, you're still astounded that it's magic. What's quite dangerous about this magic? Well, again, I'd say that you can't see it. I've worked on some large electrical installations out at the mine where like the smallest voltage you're working with is 5,000 volts. When you look at a bus bar that has 5,000 volts going through it, it just looks like a piece of copper. You can't hear it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. You can't see it. It's just a It's just a piece of copper. But if you touch that copper, it will instantly burn you. But there is there heat on it? No, the electrical energy, because your body creates such resistance, that resistance turns into heat energy. Your skin and your bones and everything will just melt under those conditions. Simply because there's so much current going through you and your body can't handle it. So it has, it resists. 
yeah, your body is like a big resistor and any, every resistor creates heat. Okay, so how do you go about testing if this piece of bare copper is going to burn you or not? Again, this is another thing that <laughs> requires a lot of trust oh on the part of your equipment, right? Because in order to test that that's off, we use a non-contact voltage te tester. So what it does is everything electrical, it emits a magnetic force. Um, so this this piece of equipment picks up that force and it makes an audible noise and a visual light blinking. And that tells you, okay, this is still on. Um, we need to shut it off. But I mean, usually you also have to trust that this breaker is, is marked right. So it seems there's a lot of trust involved <laughs> in this electrical field. Yeah, it, it's dangerous work. I mean, people get electrocuted all the time. Yeah. What's the worst injury you've ever seen? I did see a guy get shocked by 347 and he fell off a ladder. That was the worst one I ever saw. What's 347? 347 volts. So it's in a three-phase system that's half of the potential energy that they send out so it's either 600 or 347 so and you're dealing with 5000 well that's a different style of systems that's industrial stuff so industrial stuff there's motors that run on 5000 volts so that's what they require that heavy energy for but it's it's all the higher voltage you get like that you can get more energy efficiency and more power out of things so What's the lowest voltage that can hurt you? I'm not 100% sure, but probably you could get hurt at, like even 90 volts is a pretty good shock. Like your telephone line is 90 volts. That's a pretty good shock, but... The line itself. Yeah, like between the two, you got to have that potential. Otherwise, it's not just one wire. How in danger are we day-to-day -day from electrocution? Like in our own houses, you're saying, or like in the environment? Let's go houses, man-made things. Okay, so man-made things, we have quite a bit of safety built into like your house, for instance. So you're pretty safe unless you're doing something irregular. Like if you're making your own extension cords or you're sticking things into your socket that you shouldn't be, you're pretty safe. That being said, like there's not a lot of electrical electrocution hazard to it. There's more chance of fire hazard. One house fire that I went to, it was a fridge that started on fire. What was the cause? Something went wrong in the fridge and it got too hot and there's the plastic inside the deep freeze heated up and and started on fire and that plastic started the rest of the house on fire and how much of the house was left it was totally like it was burnt pretty bad like there was it was down to the studs when i was when i was there in, on two levels so all right, so I was asking the wrong question. How much of a fire hazard are... What's the biggest fire hazard in our home due to electricity? Extension cords. 100% <laughs> extension cords. People just don't know how to use them properly. And the way that they make these extension cords cheap and people don't know, they're just like, ah, you know, it's I can plug it in as long as long as the breaker doesn't trip, this cord is okay for this. That's not a fact. So if you're buying an extension cord with a small wire and you're plugging your air conditioner into it in the summertime or a, or a heater in the wintertime and you're running that across your floor, there's potential for that extension cord to heat up and start your floor on fire. And it's not grounded on top of that. So that is also an electrical electrocution ha hazard. So electrocution and fire hazard is an extension cord. Yeah. 
so uh, I'm assuming the reason the electrical fire can happen is the heat from the resistance. Yeah. And then what is this grounding thing you're talking about? So when you, when you buy an extension cord for like to plug your car in or something like that, usually it has three prongs that round one there. That one is your grounding one. So basically if any metal components on that appliance or your car, for instance, if the energized wire touches the any metal part on there, it'll trip the breaker. If you didn't have a ground wire, ground that third prong on there, that energized wire can touch that metal piece and stay energized. It may not trip out. So then you touch that metal part and now there's potential between you and the ground. And so that's what gives you the shock. So what makes it so it doesn't trip if there's no... So wait, if there's a ground wire, it can trip the breaker? That's right. If there's no ground wire, what happens with this breaker? It won't, it won't send that current back to the breaker. So the breaker needs to reference something. So you have a one wire connected to the breaker and it goes out and it connects to your appliance. It goes through either a motor or whatever, and then it comes back to the panel with the white wire, right? Well, it measures between the black wire and the white wire all the time. So if that current goes out and it goes to the metal casing of your appliance and there's no path to the neutral, then it will just have, basically you just take that black wire out of there and that's what you have touching the metal. Now you just energize that whole thing. And so if you be, if you're grounded, now it has a pathway to ground, which is just the earth. It doesn't matter any, anywhere on the earth. Um, if you're insulated enough though, you might not get shocked. So then if it is, so that wire that's sending the electricity from the breaker to the piece of metal, what's making it so it doesn't trip the breaker? Because is it because it's not getting to the breaker or what? That's right. Yeah. Oh, so if there's no current getting to the breaker, that means it's just going into that piece of metal. Yeah. And, and it'll you... just, it doesn't move. It just stays there. That potential is there has to be a path, a circle. Okay. And so... then you're creating that circle because you're standing on the earth. That's right. Which is a different potential. You keep saying this word potential. So what does that mean? It's. So potential, I guess the best way to describe it is like, um, if you think about it like water, water runs um, from a high pressure zone to a low pressure zone. Um, the same thing works with um, electrons. So in order for electrons to flow, they need to be attracted to a certain to the opposite polarity. So if you, if you don't have, like it doesn't matter if it's the black wire or the white wire you're holding, if you have the opposite attraction, the electrons are gonna flow. Doesn't matter if, if you complete that circle, then electrons will flow. And that's what creates the shock. Okay, and that's what you mean by potential. So yeah. Okay, I okay, I get it. So then, if you don't have that, so it's critical to have that three prong ground wire for safety. Absolutely, yeah. What makes it so some plugins don't have three prongs? So one could be the age of the appliance because grounding didn't start coming into effect until I don't know what day it or what date it was, but there's still lots of just two prong outlets out there. And there's still lots of just two prong appliances. Now, some of the newer two prong, two prong appliances get away with it, um, by making their appliance completely, um, plastic around the outside. So there's no way for you to contact any metal pieces to get electrocuted on. 
Okay. So or if they do have metal, that metal is isolated from any other components inside. That could transfer that electrical energy to Exa- it. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So what's the proper way to use an extension cord? Well, the proper way to use an extension cord, like for most people, just buy, like if you see one there that's like a very cheap one from the dollar store or whatever, and it looks really thin and cheap, just avoid it. It's It may not cause you problems right away. It may work fine. But um, the other problem with extension cords, people think that they last forever and they don't because they get like crunched up and thrown in drawers and people tie them in knots and, and then that breaks down that insulation. A lot of times now, um, because there's not, there's not a lot of rubber being used, um, they're using these plastic more plastic component in their insulation it gets brittle and it cracks uh, and then what you have in is is an exposed copper wire that can be a shock hazard or also a fire hazard depending if it comes slightly disconnected and there's just a tiny little air gap between them then that can also uh, electricity can jump air gaps if they're small enough and that also that creates a significant amount of heat and that can lead to a fire as well extension cords seem more dangerous than ever after this conversation yeah beware of extension cords (laughs) buy a good extension cord and keep an eye on it if it looks like it's in bad shape throw it out and get a new one yeah and that they extension cords have a shelf life too yeah, but it's, I mean, it also depends on circumstances too. Like sunlight is hard on on extension cords because of the plastic breaks down in sunlight. So just, but it's just something nobody ever thinks about. And I think the other part of it is, is that like 20 years ago, we didn't never had this problem because extension cords were made well. And the materials didn't break down like that. So they were more durable and more flexible materials used. Yeah. Until they changed it over to this more cost-effective plastic. Absolutely, yeah. So you work with electrical appliances all the time. What's the most dangerous electrical appliance in the house? I'm 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 not sure I could pick one out. I think they all have the potential to be dangerous. I mean, it's, it's just, it just comes down to if it was built well and you can't tell that without taking it apart. (laughs) Even then maybe you can't tell. Um, but for the most part, if you're buying like a trusted brand of something, um, then you're probably most times you're going to be safe. And then it, if you're taking care of it, it makes a big difference as well. And one thing that I've learned through my experience is that it is a good idea to take a look at the instructions. I mean, no matter what you buy it, just look through the instructions. There's stuff in there that maybe you never thought about that will help make that product safer. What's an example that comes to your mind? Well, right away, I guess was my humidifier. I just bought a humidifier. It's a uh, warm mist humidifier. So it uses an electric element to heat up water and turn it to steam. So one of the things they mention in there is that to keep your children away from it because there's boiling water and steam in there. And I don't know why I didn't think about that. When they mentioned it in the manual, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> But I just never thought of it for whatever reason. Somebody probably didn't think of it. And then that's the reason it's in the instructions. That's exactly. I think that's how all instructions are made. They don't think of these things on their own. (laughs) It all comes down to insurance claims and deaths. And it's a gruesome business. Yeah, it really is. All right. Let's switch gears to plumbing. 
what's something about plumbing that stands out to you? Um, plumbing, I never got into plumbing to do plumbing, to be honest. I've always not liked plumbing. Um, but I didn't realize, like, I knew it was dirty, and that was one of the things I didn't like about it. I don't like the dirty work of it. Um, but I guess I didn't realize just how dangerous it is. It's an extremely dangerous profession to be in as far as your health goes. What makes it so dangerous? The toxins that you're exposed to working with the material. So one of the biggest struggles that we have in the plumbing industry is dealing with lead. And this is a, this is a new thing that's coming into, into the f- forefront of focus for, for everyone now, because I, th- because we have these plastic materials that we can finally get away from lead, but lead is ingrained into our society so much that it's, it's ubiquitous it's everywhere and we're finding out well i think i think someone knew this a long time ago but they were kind of pushed down because of how much how much we depend on lead so we need lead in things because it's a malleable material um so any brass that you have that needs to be machined like has threads or anything like that that has some content of lead in it so every copper pipe in a house that was built before the probably 1980s has lead in the solder joints of the copper pipe and then any brass fitting that is a part of that has a high content of lead as well and they've been trying to reduce it because obviously it's extremely bad for humans. But working in the plumbing industry, you can't get away from it. It's in, obviously, we still have a lot of lead pipes. Uh, the city still has a lot of lead water lines that it needs to deal with. So is the exposure to the toxic metal. That's the danger in plumbing? Not just metal. In order to solder something, you have to use a compound called uh, acid flux. It's in it. If you read the MSDS on it, it's frightening. If you get it on your hands, it can burn you if you don't wash your hands. If you eat it, it's extremely toxic and make you sick. If you burn it at too hot of a temperature, which, I mean, you're using a torch to heat up metal and solder, you're not always going to have the perfect temperature on that joint and that those solder fumes are extremely toxic to your health what is this called again acid flux it's what draws the the solder into the solder joint into the coupling so we put the acid flux on and then we're using the solder and it sucks the solder into it so we need that acid flux yeah yeah actually you don't if you if you silver sol- soldered everything, then you wouldn't need the acid flux because the heat would draw it in. So in in brazing, you can you can braze joints like that with silver compound, and it will draw into that joint without without solder. What's brazing? Brazing is just using a high temperature heat with a harder alloy and it's basically kind of the same thing as soldering, just a way better joint. And we could use what prevents us from using the silver instead of the acid flux? It's one, it's quite a bit more costly and it, it's more time consuming to do. And, and you got to use quite a bit more heat to, to do it. So it, it provides a more efficient joint. Not more efficient, just a stronger joint because you're using like. Uh, solder is, is using like tin and antimony. Silver solder is using silver. 
Oh, so solder. silver. You, when you said silver solder, you meant silver the material. Yes, it's not pure silver. It's all of these rods are mixed with different alloys to make them do what they're supposed to do. But silver is obviously much harder than tin is. Um, so that hardness of that material gives that joint its integrity. Uh, what's the advantage of the silver joint versus the, would we say, acid flux joint? Uh, no, a solder joint. The solder joint. Yeah. The silver solder joint is you can put more pressure through there. So we use those silver solder joints in like high pressure applications, like something commercial or industrial where you'd have like a high pressure gas or something flowing through that line. A lot of times in refrigeration, they'll use that kind of a joint. Okay. So then the main dangers so far are lead exposure in plumbing and the acid flux exposure. Yeah. yeah. Those are, those are kind of, if you're doing a lot of soldering, those are the big ones. Um, if you're not doing a lot of soldering and say you are doing mostly service work like I do, um, where you're fixing people's toilets and sinks and drains and this kind of stuff, there's a lot of biological hazards that go along with these things and things that you don't really think about and they're not they're things that could affect you immediately or they could be things that won't show up for a number of years the other thing you can run into is uh is you don't know what these people are like diseases these people have that could come out in their waste uh you don't know if like say these people have cancer and they're waste is is um radioactive you could come in contact with that just it's all kinds of just dirty stuff that can happen to you and you're working away you do your best wear gloves and try not to get it on you and wash your hands and everything like that but it doesn't guarantee that you're gonna be away from this stuff but the problem with all this stuff is that there's no way to tell how it's going to affect you like another big another big thing that we're exposed to in the construction industry that that we're just starting to get educated about and be protected a, about is asbestos. We hear about it everywhere. Asbestos is one of those things where you talk to some of these old guys that dealt with it all the time and they just they never wore a mask, they breathe it in. They'd eat the stuff for lunch. They'd, it just, no problem. And they're in their 70s and 80s, and they're doing fine. There's other guys that are in their 20s, been exposed to it maybe five times, and they need a new lung. So it comes down to some random chance that we, don't, that we haven't discovered yet. However, we do know it's, asbestos is another thing that you're exposed to. Exactly. What other dangers have I not asked about with the plumbing? <laughs> Well, let me think now. There's also, so the part that I like to work in, like I, I mentioned before, I didn't get into plumbing to do plumbing. I got into plumbing to get my gas ticket so I could work on furnaces and hot water heaters and stuff like that. So the number one thing that you're exposed to when you're working on those appliances is carbon monoxide. Every time you walk into a mechanical room, you have the potential of being exposed to carbon monoxide on some level. Most of the time, the reason that you're going there is because that appliance isn't working and you need to turn it on to test whether it's working or not. So you turn it on and say it's not venting or doesn't have enough combustion air or whatever, it dumping carbon monoxide in there. And you're just hanging out trying to fix this thing. You're hanging out in there trying to fix it. Okay. So now say you bring your carbon monoxide detector with you. They're actually in the States. There's companies that their workers wear carbon monoxide detectors on them. So great. You have this thing, you walk in there, boom, it's carbon monoxide. Well now, now what? You still have to figure out what the problem is. So you do your best. You clean out the venting, you get good combustion air in there, you fire it up. Maybe there's a fan in there that's pulling it back. 
or whatever. You're not going to go through all these processes every time you walk in there. You're going to be exposed to carbon monoxide no matter what you're doing. And then what have you, what, what happens once, what's a severe thing that's happened to you when you're exposed to this carbon monoxide to the well, levels? Well, you get dizzy, you get tired. You, like, you know when you've had too much, but you don't know when you've had just a little bit. And the thing about carbon monoxide is, is that the more you're exposed to it, the less your tolerance is for it. So it builds up in your system and then now a little bit can harm you. I don't know how that works, but all I know is that they say that if once you're exposed to it, your exposure less is less the next time. So I don't know, maybe, maybe over time you'll be like, maybe over time it dissipates out and then you reset back to normal. But I don't know that there may be some, thing that your brain does or whatever that is like hey we had enough of this shit what about those uh carbon monoxide detectors that we get in our home for 30 dollars at home depot oh yeah they're fine but they're they're not going to pick up trace amounts oh really um, you'll there's lots of times when i've went in there the carbon monoxide is quite a bit high and they're not picking it up but it's not high enough to cause you immediate danger those things are like a smoke detector basically once the carbon monoxide gets to a dangerous level then they kick you out so with the ones we get for 30 dollars, they're not as sensitive that's right yeah and the low level exposure over time can still make you pass out i don't know about that okay um i think it's just a health concern i mean that's yeah definitely definitely um and then again like the asbestos thing with the heating like every a lot of heating appliances still use asbestos in their manufacture because it's the best heat resistant material that you can get and if it's not asbestos it's fiberglass fiberglass is as equally as well not as bad but not still very not good for you to breathe in so as best as big no-no fiberglass still no-no but not as bad yeah still both terrible to breathe in absolutely and they use asbestos or the fiberglass in heating appliances yeah yeah what, what are they used for anything where they need to reflect heat away from the outside surfaces like furnaces will be there will be a mat inside them most of it's fiberglass now because it the furnaces are running quite a bit lower temperatures, but larger commercial appliances, you're still seeing a lot of uh, asbestos refractories and these, this, I don't know, it's there. I think there's some that aren't asbestos, but it still looks like some kind of compressed fiberglass or, or something. Anyway, right on the package, it says harmful if breathed in. So don't mess around with it. What's best practices to stay safe in regards to plumbing? In regards to plumbing, it's for sure washing your hands. Wear, wear gloves where you can. Just be safe. If you can use a tool to touch something, use a tool. <laughs> Don't use your hands. <laughs> With the plumbing, the main thing that you need a device to test for is carbon monoxide. Are there any other tools you need to, to test things that could be dangerous? Um, as far as asbestos goes or lead, like you have to send that away to get it tested by an expert. So you don't have those resources available. You just have to mask up. If I think that I'm working with something that's asbestos, I put on a, a P100 mask, which protects me pretty well against it but not completely because the asbestos still goes on my clothes and then i work throughout the day and i'm still breathing it in okay so, so there's so many steps you, you pretty much have to put a hazmat suit on yeah like again it's one of those things where my exposure is fairly low but the problem is is that they don't know what the acceptable exposure is so 
it's just like lead lead it's it's one of the scariest things that we are exposed to and not just me like i'm exposed to it a little bit more than most people but everyone in the world is exposed to high levels of lead and some people are affected by it and some people aren't and i think that's where a lot of our mental illness comes from <laughs> honestly where's the exposure come from that's in in the environment well in like not necessarily in the environment it's more so in our homes and stuff like that because like in your in your house you're going to you're going to have exposure to lead through your water because your water it's running through brass lead like all these different materials before it even gets to your house so it's picking up all that on its way to your house you're ingesting that unless you're unless you're putting it through an RO system or some kind of filtration before you drink it um that's just one source now all the manufactured stuff these microphones that we're talking into they have lead in them they have brass in them they have components that are hazardous to our health on a very low low level so that's where that that label where it says known to cause birth defects in the state of California absolutely that's what it's for it's to notify you that there's lead content in there some somewhere or maybe not just lead but um, primarily primarily it's for the presence of lead what's something that surprised you about plumbing for the for the gas side the thing that surprised me about the gas side of thing is how safe natural gas is compared to propane so it's interesting that we have so many rules for natural gas and we do have rules for propane don't get me wrong but i think because propane is so readily available and transportable people think that it's not as dangerous but propane has twice the energy that natural gas has but we have way more rules for natural gas i think i guess because we it's in residential stuff and it's more widely used but it just i guess it just surprised me cuz i always i thought that about propane i was like ah propane it's just propane yeah <laughs> we I can pick it up at the grocery store so when you got into the the gas side of plumbing what did you think was dangerous that isn't actually that dangerous uh i would say again the natural gas part of it cuz whenever i worked on a furnace i was always worried about causing like an explosion or something like that. Well, in a furnace, like you have to have a quite a bit of gas to cause an explosion. The other thing, like one of the most frightening things for me uh when I was in working in the industry was was uh having a gas leak before I started doing the service side and start, started seeing leaks and talking to some older plumbers and seeing how they used to do it <laughs> in the old days but having a gas leak isn't as big of a problem as i thought it was a natural gas leak in your home yeah is not as big as a problem it's not like it's something to be like you want to have that addressed immediately don't get me wrong but having a small natural gas leak in your house isn't an explosion problem. If you're living in your house, you're opening doors and windows and you're you probably got some fans running and this and that. Plus, you got a chimney there. So, for instance, on a furnace, an older furnace, if your pilot went out and it didn't have a safety to shut off that pilot valve, it would just run gas into the appliance. If a source of ignition came along, you'd have like a woof or a boom or whatever, right? but most of the time there's enough leakage in that furnace that there'll be a natural draft happening and that gas is going to get sucked up the chimney and out out of the house now if your main valve was open now you're in the danger zone because once you get that proper mix and 
actually there's a Mythbusters uh, episode about how dangerous a natural gas leak is. And they found they had a hard time making the explosion that they wanted in that episode because they had to have the the mix of air and gas just perfect in order for it to give it that potential energy to do a lot of destruction. Okay, so you need a... It actually has to be a balanced mix for it to be incredibly dangerous. Well, I wouldn't say a balanced mix because that suggests like 50-50. Oh, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but, but you need the correct mix. Yes, exactly. What do you love about the plumbing? Um, I love the diversity of plumbing. Because you can be doing some amount of like clean plumbing, like changing a kitchen faucet or doing someone's lawn service. I don't mind. I like doing that kind of stuff, little handyman-y stuff. And then the next job you go to, you could be fixing a furnace. And then the next job you could go to, you're diagnosing some electrical issue in a furnace or with their heating system. And then the next job you could be doing something with air conditioning. And then the next job you could be doing something completely different. You know, it's just, there's a lot of variety in it. I like that variety. Okay. So you actually don't know what's coming at you. Well, I don't always like that part of it. No, I don't like that part of it. I just like the diversity. I wish like the way my job's set up that is exactly how it is and that's one of the things i don't like about it is that i don't know i can't mentally prepare myself for what the day is going to hold so sometimes sometimes you have a good day and other times you just have a like your day is bad and then it it has the potential to get much worse (laughs) (laughs) so how does a a day go from bad to much worse okay so you could for me, I could wake up in the morning, be kind of a cloudy day out, and you're you're not you woke up kind of groggy or whatever, and you go into work. I look at my time card and I see, oh, I'm going to this job, and it's like, okay, well, it's I'm going to this call that looks like maybe it's just a a flame sensor in a furnace. Easy call in the morning. I'm like, okay, I can deal with that. That gets me to work and no problem. So you show up to the shop and they're like, oh yeah, actually you're not going to that call. You're going to like this grungy apartment building to change a toilet. And, and you're like, oh, that's horrible. Like that is probably, that's like one of the worst things for me, especially first thing in the morning or before lunch. Cause then it's hard to eat my lunch after I get a call like that. Anyways, So then you think that's about the low point of your day and you get a call that there's a commercial job where you need uh, to work on a urinal. Urinals are bar none the most disgusting thing to work on. Just, they're just gross. Like you, if you have ever used a urinal and smelt that bad smell of a urinal, take that and multiply it by quite a bit more because it's a very intense smell you can like taste it on your tongue it's so bad this sounds horrific it is horrific and this is in a malfunctioning urinal this is this is if you have to take a urine if you have a like a clogged urinal and you have to take the urinal off and like work on the pipes behind there there it's horrible so the pipes themselves Yes. What is causing a clog in a urinal? So when you pee, you think that it's just liquid coming out. But it's not just liquid coming out. There's also lots of minerals that are coming out in that. That's Those minerals are what cause like kidney stones and stuff like that, right? Well, when they're not causing kidney stones, they're clogging up your pipes. And they're causing plumbers problems. Yeah. <laughs> so it actually it actually causes people a lot of problems in their homes as well without them knowing. So people who maybe use the washroom at night and let it sit overnight, or they have the if it's if it's yellow, let it mellow method to their to their lifestyle. 
those deposits collect in the in the passages of your toilet and they start closing those passages off and eventually causing a clog with toilet paper or whatever you're flushing down there so and those those deposits get extremely hard you can um, one method we use like sometimes we can get them clean we use a pick tool and we can get it get it out of there if it's not if it's been there for just a short amount of time but if it's been if it's like 20 years old and it's rock hard you're not getting that out with a pick tool you you can in the old days you can use muriatic acid and put it in your toilet and break it down but muriatic acid gives off uh, a gas i can't remember what it is but it's like i don't know like mustard but it's extremely toxic yeah like it'll kill you if you poured that in there yeah and you close the door you you would pass out and die if i stayed in there and exposed myself yeah to to like for like 10 minutes or something like that you'd be you'd be dead or your lungs would be so burnt it's extremely dangerous and that's just if you breathe it in like you get it on your skin your clothes it 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 screws everything up because it all has it it has a cost later on. Exactly. What's something fun and happy about the plumbing profession? Um, the best the best thing is being being able to be the hero sometimes, seeing the look on the face of a satisfied customer, and you know, on Saturday night our fire alarm went off in our building. And the reason was because there was uh, a water leak in the basement from the fire alarm system. So whenever there's a water leak, it triggers a flow switch and it sets off the fire alarm so the fire department comes. So I was able to find the source of that leak and shut it off and prevent it from flooding our basement in our building because I had the skills to shut it off. And what makes you feel even better about being able to do that is that there are 10 men down there trying to clog it off and sweep it up, plus firefighters all trying to figure out what to do about this situation. Nobody knows. (laughs) And I come in there and I shut a valve off and suddenly I'm the hero. Yes. It's not a it's not a lot of knowledge, but it's just it's just you know, I guess when you're in that element it's easier to think about those things. But it's yeah, not Yeah, you're used to you're used to the water leaking. Yeah. I'm assuming firefighters are used to the fire firing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> oh man. Should we, should we call it? Yeah, let's do it, man.